This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive produces audio-based workouts created by certified personal trainers available through a mobile app, and new members get 30% off an annual membership. Visit aptive.com slash nomeat. That's A-A-P-T-I-V dot com slash nomeat. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomeat Athlete Radio. And I feel like a lot has happened in the last week since we talked. Uh, you moved. You have joined the soccer league. You're like a professional soccer player now, I think. Mm-hmm, that's pretty uh, much what it is. Yeah. And then I had my race, which we're going to talk about later. But yeah, I feel like a lot's been going on. We have had a lot going on. You're right. You know what else I did, Doug? I also uh, I took a, a transcendental medit- meditation course during the, no the kidding gap in our last since we last talked. How was that? It was good. It was a four-day course. Had to had to go there for an hour and a half a day and huh. pony up some cash. And it was, it was <laughs> got got my mantra. And now I'm supposedly set. Are you are you meditating? Have you? Yeah, I'm doing it twice a day. It's that's the uh, their little twice prescription is twice a day for twenty minutes. Twenty minutes twice a day in the morning and evening kind of thing or doesn't matter. Uh, I yeah, morning, late afternoon doesn't exactly matter, but you know you want to put one in the morning and. It's kind of very similar to what I thought already that it was, but I, you know, you get a specific mantra that apparently you can't get given otherwise or can't figure out on your own. And but they give you a mantra. The, the the instructors give you a specific one that is just for you. I mean, I think there are a few dozen that they choose from, but do they like walk up to you and just kind of bestow a mantra on you? How does that? Yeah, there's like a little ceremony that they do, a non-religious ceremony that uh, you know sort of pays homage to the. To the the guru guy who handed all this down, but it's huh. not like a worship thing. So, yeah, did that and uh, got my mantra and and actually, it, you know, it was something I wanted to do for a while, but it was expensive, so I never did. But I finally said, you know what, I'm I'm just not doing meditation. So maybe if I pay money for it, it'll make me just keep doing it. And so that, that usually works for me. So people meditate in different ways, right? You can like silence your mind. You can repeat the mantra. What what is what kind of meditation is this? It is both. It is mostly repeating the mantra. Okay, but yeah, you're not you're not supposed to talk about it that much. I don't know if it's like. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't think I'd get in any trouble for saying that. It's not like they they patented the idea of saying a mantra over and over. Um, but the, but it's it's the not the a whole lot more complicated than that. Transcendental meditation is exactly. you don't talk about. Okay, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll quit. I'll quit asking questions. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's cool. So, I, you know, I didn't know you were doing that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it, that, that's been fun. I moved, as I talked about before, I built this or was going to build a little soccer room, and I have done that. It is nearly done. As soon as we're done here, I actually will, will wrap it up. Um, so that's going to be fun. And also joined that soccer league. I've played a couple games in it. It is not professional level at all, and, <laughs> and I am not uh, a very good player at all. But I, I'm, I'm excited now, and I feel like I have a reason to you know run and train and do things. So I'm quite excited about it. That's that's cool. So uh, I do have a question about. Um, it's been a while, I think, probably since you've done any sort of competitive <laughs> sport, right, <laughs> on a team. Uh, was it? Did you go back and you're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm better than I thought I was, or was it kind of the opposite? Yeah, I don't know. I I think kicking with my son a lot because he's really into soccer, as I've mentioned, and we we play a lot. We practice about an hour a day and just go kick. I kind of thought that that was going to make me show up and be pretty good, but it wasn't really very good. I just, like, as soon as I got the ball, it was like my world was closing in on me, and it was like I had a, you know, panic attack and had to get rid of the ball as fast as <laughs> It was one of those deals. Yeah. Uh, but in my second game, I was somewhat more comfortable having the ball, and so I don't know. I, I'm not good, and I definitely was not in shape. I got I got too tired the very first 10 minutes of the game I got into. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, just not prepared for the sprinting. So, yeah. anyway, but, but all that... Uh, it definitely didn't discourage me. It, it actually made me really excited about getting better. So that I take that as a good sign, and I think it's something I'm going to stick with for a while. Oh, Plus, good. I've met some really good people too. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited you're 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 becoming an athlete again. <laughs> That's right. I, I am I'm living up to the athlete name once again. Yeah. But speaking of that, much more interesting than all these dumb things I've been doing is you you ran 100 miles. You ran your 100 miler on one of the hardest courses. Is it the hardest course in the East? Can we say that? Or that, that's what that's what the website claims, and I think based solely on elevation profile, that is career, that is correct. Okay, so d- I mean, definitely not an easy one by any stretch. No, 
and uh, you finished, which is I huge, did. right? Yep. And was that? I don't think you ever said a time goal that you you had said before in this podcast that you wanted to be in the best shape of your life going into such a hard race. And mm-hmm. we talked about kind of how that went, and it, it mostly went, I think. Um, but did you have a time goal for this? I had a loose time goal of 30 hours, which was is kind of in between um, what... So this was, this was my fourth 100-miler. Uh, my first one was 32 hours. My second one was, uh, you know, like a loops course, a timed event. I did 100 miles in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And last year, or two years ago, uh, was 25 hours. And this was much harder than that 25 hour race. Um, but you know, I was kind of saying in much harder than my first one too, which was 32 hours. But yeah, you know, I was kind of saying I'm, I'm a stronger runner, I'm a better runner, I'm a smarter runner. Surely I can beat that time. So, um, so I had a loose goal of, of 30 hours, but, but really that was, that was pretty loose. The cutoff here was 40 hours. So, you know, I had plenty of time mm-hmm. if I slowed down after the 30 hour mark. Right. Uh, and I ended up coming in, <laughs> Right at 33 hours and 30 seconds. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Within the last half mile, I was like, you know what? I can beat 33 hours. I'm like <laughs> right there. And then I started running and I started like running really hard. And then I was like, you know what? You Why? know, nah. Why, <laughs> Why am I doing that? <laughs> and so I probably could have done it, but, um, you know, it, it really didn't matter. So uh, 33 hours and 30 seconds is when wow. I... And that, that's a long time. It started at 5 a.m. On, on Friday. And so it was... What that's uh, two o'clock on on yeah. Saturday afternoon. That's, that, uh, that's um, into the day. That is yeah. And that's not even the morning anymore. That's no, <laughs> no. Man, yeah, yeah. that is a long time to be out there running. Um, and this so this was the Hellbender 100. That's the official name of it. That's right. The Hellbender Hellbender 100 uh, here in North Carolina started um, down off the mountains a little bit in a town called Old Fort, and then. You basically run up and down the sides of the uh, the Black Mountain Crest Ridge Line, which is where Mount Mitchell, the highest point east of the Mississippi, mm-hmm. um, is. Is kind of the the main uh, mountain there, and then there's several that are over, you know, sixty four hundred feet, um, and you're kind of running up and down that mm-hmm. <laughs> that ridge line over and over again. Wow. Good. So that uh, that is actually what we are going to talk about today. We're going to get into that a good bit. Before we do, I wanted to remind everyone, well, not remind, but tell everyone, because we've emailed about it, we have not podcasted about it. The Food Revolution Summit is begins tomorrow. We're recording this on a Friday, and it begins tomorrow, which I think is, what, uh, April 28th? 28th. 2018. And it is a free event. It is done by the people at Food Revolution Network, which is kind of headed up by Ocean Robbins and John Robbins. Uh, both of whom I am proud to call friends of myself. I got to go out there for a day one year and uh, and spend a day at their their kind of compound where they because they both live on the same property and had this really cool mastermind event and met lots of great people. But they are awesome. The Food Revolution Summit uh, and and the organization's work they're really good. This summit we look for. My wife and I look forward to it every single year. Uh, it's just it's I guess it's eight days of interviews, three per day. Uh, with some of the top es- experts in the world this year, uh, Joel Furman's there, Michael Greger, uh, Kathy Freston, Chris Carr, many, many others, Neil, Neil Barnard, many, I mean, just huge names in, in the nutrition world, most of them plant-based, and uh, it's just a ton of good knowledge that they give away for free listening to these interviews, and John Robbins actually does the interviews with them, and he's such a good interviewer. So it's an event that we always listen to, and it's just a nice... It's a nice way to spend those mornings if you can manage to do that, whether you're at work or in your car or whatever. Um, but anyway, you can go to it. It's uh, it's at if you go to nomadathlete.com slash revolution, uh, it will take you to our little registration page on their site, and uh, you can register for completely for free. And you get you get these. I think it's eight days of three interviews each, and they're really really good. So highly recommended that you do that uh, if you want because it doesn't cost anything. That's right. Yes. So, with that little bit, free uh, knowledge, free just free knowledge bombs being dropped every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. So let's get into the Hellbender 100, Doug. You're. Uh, so was it? Was it? Uh, I mean, the first rate, the first hundred you did was hard, right? It really, was really yeah. hard. You chose it because it was hard. That's right. And this was um, harder. That was that was Mastodon and Mountain Trails 100. Um, which is known as a tough one here out on the East Coast. And yeah, this was much harder. I mean, it was so it had about 10 or 12,000 feet more of elevation gain. Uh, and it was just this this race. Uh, you know, I, one thing I learned this week is that um, 
unless you've actually run the entire course, unless you've been out on all of the trails, then looking at the stats and looking at the maps and elevation profiles and all that kind of stuff only tell part of the story because they don't really tell you what the trail conditions are like. They don't tell you, um, you know, what, how rocky it is and, and rudy and steep. And I mean, you know, there were steep descents that I thought that I could make up great time on that I was just, you know, barely able to kind of poke my way down. Right. right. Um, you know, and, and you end up spending a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, I guess what that means as a runner is to, um, get out on the course if you can, of course. Um, but if you can't, then, you know, always be ready to expect the, the unexpected and, and, you know, and kind of roll with what you're given, uh, because race day never exactly goes as planned. Uh, and, and that, of course that includes your stomach and your fitness and all that stuff. But, um, you never really know what the course is going to look like until you're out there. Uh, and, you know, one thing we dealt with was, was absolutely stunningly beautiful weather. So I hate complaining about the weather, the weather <laughs> at all, because it was not a cloud in the sky for the entire time I was there. And, as you know, it's since then it's been done nothing but just dump rain. Uh, basically, basically since the night that that I finished, it's just started raining and hasn't hasn't stopped ever since. So, yeah, I mean, it could have been so much worse. But um, one thing I was not expecting at all was huge fluctuations in temperature. On Friday afternoon, it was like seventy degrees and in the sun, you know, baking down on you. It felt it just felt really really hot, and everybody got overheated. Uh, but then Saturday, Friday night, it was 20 degrees and windy up on the ridge and everybody was huddled around fires and, and shivering their way along the ridge line. Hmm. So, you know, it was just kind of, it was, it was like huge fluctuations in, in temperature and things like that, that, um, they, you can see on paper, but you can't really comprehend until you're out there. Right. Interesting. And were you, uh, was that, were you prepared for them? Did you have all of all the gear you would need? Yeah. I mean, in theory I was sure. I mean, as far as the temperature goes, um, I had, I had pants and I had jackets and all that stuff. You know, I still got really cold at one of the aid stations when I had stopped to eat some food and I had a lot of trouble warming back up. One thing, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I still don't know if this was the right move or not, but there was a point up on the ridge at probably two or three in the morning where, um, the temperature had dropped significantly and I was still wearing my shorts that I'd been in all day. And, um, I, I knew that I should, I was carrying a, a light, pair of pants in my pack and I knew I should put those on but the thought of stopping and taking off my wet shoes and then putting back on my wet shoes and all that just felt so overwhelming (laughs) that I was like I'm just not going to do it I'm just going to keep pushing forward and uh I definitely got a little uh, probably too cold at one point uh then those pants would those pants would have helped a lot but I just I couldn't you know there's just those moments when you just something it's something really simple that you know is going to be good for you it just feels way too overwhelming <laughs> right, to, right. to actually do so I, okay two questions that that this is let me do um third you, you mentioned the terrain mm-hmm. and I, when i finished my hundred which was much much easier course i mean i, I picked one that i i picked it because it seemed easy uh, i don't know not not the easiest around but it's fairly easy mm-hmm. uh and it took me 28 hours and when I was finished, I was like, well, that was really hard. And then realized that my mile pace was like, I don't know, 18 minute miles or something or 17 minute miles. And I was kind of like, man, I could have like hiked and gotten that kind of time. <laughs> uh, which I mean, of course I was hiking some of it up hills, but so 33 hours for the same distance. That's, I mean, I don't know what, 25 minute mile probably. Um, uh, yeah, 19, 20 minute mile. So could I mean, I'm not not at all trying to like take away from that accomplishment. Of course, <laughs> uh, that's not the point. But, but what I'm saying, like, is that like, is would that be a viable strategy to tackle a course that is as challenging as that one? Like, like what if you just went out and said, "I'm just hiking"? Would, do you think that would it just take forever then because you couldn't be running across the stretches that were kind of yeah? Nice? I mean, I think I, I think it would. A, a part of that 33 hours, of course, is me stopping at aid stations and. Um, you know, and so that's an hour or more, maybe right. probably an hour and a half over the course of the, of the race that, um, that I was stopped at an aid station. Um, you know, so that, you know, that kind of limits the time a little bit more. And, and then the other big part of it is that some of these climbs, um, you know, were several thousand feet over the course of a couple miles of, mm-hmm. of, of ascent. And, 
you're never, you know, very few people are going to be able to hike at a, you know, even an 18 oh. or 19 minute pace up those hills, right? right. So your, your pace is going to drop significantly to 25 minutes or, or something, even if you're just, even if you're steadily climbing. Yep. Um, gotcha. And so you have to make up that time somewhere and in which case you have to, you know, run a little bit. I mean, but you know, my running was not, I mean, we're not talking about eight minute miles here. We're We're talking about 11 or 12 minute, you know, running, running miles. Um, And so uh, certainly you could have hiked the whole thing and probably finished within 40 hours, but I don't think, um, and you know, and it's possible that I'm just, naive or, or no you're probably right I'd but just... I, I don't think it would have been <laughs> i don't think it would have been uh, a good strategy to try to break 30 hours or right, or even right. 33 hours did i see trekking poles in the picture was were those yours yeah i uh this was the first race i'd, I'd used trekking poles and um and looking at all the finishers that were coming in i would say that like 90 percent of us ended up using trekking poles oh, yeah? for the later latter half of the race um, and that I w- I'm a huge now I am now a huge fan of trekking poles. And this <laughs> yeah. is this is a big shift for me because I had tried them out uh, a long time ago because a lot of ultra runners in in Europe and you know places like that uh, have uh, you know it's common to use trekking poles um, and they just always felt like they were getting in the way for me and and not something that I was interested in at all. But um, they helped so much with the climbing and, uh, and then also kind of stability on some of the more technical descents to be able to kind of Mm -hmm. have an extra, you know, you know, it's like kind of grabbing a branch or something like that. Um, I I'm certain that I prevented myself from falling at least five times because of those trekking poles. Wow. But, um, and that was a big, that was a big part of this kind of overall general fitness, uh, that I've been working on for the past several months with the strength training and, and everything else is getting my core and my upper body into a, a space where I could use it, um, you know, and for some of to help with some of this uh, right this race and right. uh, and the trekking poles allowed that to happen. Oh, so um, yeah, now I, I didn't use them for the first. I think I picked them up at mile thirty five, um, and then carried them with me the entire time and and used them. I thought I'd be putting them in and out of my pack and everything like that, but I. Uh, there were a couple of stretches of like gravel road where I, you know, I held them instead of using them. But so then, where did you have a, a handheld bottle, or did you not? I didn't. I just used the. Um, I put two bottles in the front of my pack. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that's. I mean, that's that's starting to already sound more like a. A, uh, a hike. <laughs> yeah, like and not not a slow one, but I mean, I mean that you're carrying a lot of stuff. Like that's a this is a yeah adventure than than what I did and what many first time hundred milers do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that was interesting about this was the first race that had required gear you had to carry that I've run. Required um, you to carry gear? Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't much, but you had to require so much. You had to carry, uh, so much water capacity. So 40 ounces of, of water, which is, uh, my bottles are 18 ounces. So it was, it was three bottles, but, um, for safety or because so that it's a level playing field and some people don't have too much crew help. No, it's it for safety because this this was pretty remote, and there were long stretches where you were, you know, three hours or more between aid stations, and uh, oh, and, and in wow. pretty some pretty you know rural. I mean, it would have been if you had fallen or hurt yourself or gotten into trouble, then it would have been hard for you to be rescued. So, wow. an, an emergency emergency blanket was one of the required gear. You had to have your headlamp with you at all times, not just at night. Um, so there were there were a couple of things like that. The an extra jacket. Um, this was one where where part of the challenge is the uh, like the orienteering. Bit, no, right? no, no. Everything was really well marked. No, okay. It was just a, gotcha. just about following the trail. But um, yeah, but those hiking poles, man, I uh, I loved it. Uh, one thing I will say is that if you're gonna use trekking poles in a race, uh, you better spend a lot of time using them in training. Oh yeah, and you did yeah, that. I did do that. Oh, um, okay. I, uh, all of my long runs for the past two months or so, even if they were on trails that didn't need them, I was, I was using them, um, because they, it takes, it takes some time to get used to the way it feels when you're running with those and, and even how to use them efficiently hiking. Um, it's, it, it takes time to get used to that and you're going to waste a lot of energy and get, just get frustrated with them if you're, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. 
Uh, do you, is there is there a certain brand? Can we do a brand shout out here? You didn't pay for these polls, I hope. I hope they were <laughs> I provided for, I didn't. They were... for some sort of freebie. <laughs> they were. Uh, they were uh, leaky polls. I think I think okay. that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> this is a terrible brand shout out. <laughs> um, leaky leaky polls that. Uh, the big thing for me was that that I wanted was that they're carbon fiber, so they're super light and um, and they're collapsible instead of those ones that you like pull it out and kind of twist it to adjust it. They're they collapsible, so they they don't adjust at all. They're like a set height. Uh huh. Right. Um. So so you're not going to have it kind of over time collapsing in on itself or something like that. Gotcha. Interesting. That is, I will venture to say, I will never do a race that requires me to use checking poles. <laughs> it's just it's just out of my realm that just puts it yeah. in a new but but that is that's really neat good for you though that is that is cool yeah i was you know it was something that um i knew some people would and and i was um glad to have them but you know i really i would say almost everybody during the latter half of the race had them and uh that surprised huh. me that surprised me yeah i mean even if that many people would i guess if, i guess people who seek out a race like this know things and they know that you would want that because i mean i like i feel like most ultra runners don't even know that people use that unless you're unless you're really into it and you pay attention to what the european guys are doing and girls mm-hmm. uh you know i wouldn't like like when i reminded it did not cross my mind that you might want to bring those because it's i just didn't know people really did that so, yeah it's amazing that or surprising that a lot of people did yeah i do i think they're probably getting a little bit more common uh but you know like during crowded parts of the race like if you're running a 50k or something even if it's even if it's really mountainous if there's a lot of people they can kind of be a little dangerous right because they're mm-hmm. pretty pointy <laughs> pretty sharp and um you know you don't want people falling on them or you don't want to trip somebody up or anything like that but so that's why that's why i didn't use them for the first you know 50k mm-hmm. um but I'm, I'm very glad that i had them through the night and on some of the longer climbs right so um do you I mean, it just it just so seems so. It just seems in such a different league from other hundreds that we've talked about. Um, do, do you think you would have finished this race had this been your first one? I mean, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you. You just talked about being in better shape for this, and it sounds like you were not just in running shape, but more in physical uh, mm-hmm. strength shape. Um, but I, I would, just a guess. My guess would be that that the reason you could finish this whereas maybe you couldn't have before is not so much a physical one as much as mental and just having now the experience of done three other hundreds that something about that enabled you to stay out there for 33 hours and and as we talked about yesterday which we can talk about in a minute you you almost didn't you got to a point where you really did want to quit despite all that experience and i'm just wondering like do you think you would have finished this had it been your first one and what was your time on your first one not that far off from this right right my time was 32 hours on the first one um, so just an hour faster on mm-hmm. a, on an easier course. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but, but probably not. Uh, they call this a master's level hundred. Um, and you, they're an the old thing. What's that? Doesn't masters mean like old people. <laughs> I think they mean masters as in, uh, master, master, master like, uh, <laughs> like, like a higher, like a, you know, like a master's degree. Okay. All right. Um, and they do have uh, requirements for you to for you to qualify in. Um, so, but I don't think I you know I don't think that it, I think this would have been a terrible first hundred experience for me. <laughs> <Really? laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, I just uh, you know the when you're, when you're running your first hundred miler, you have so much to worry about, and there's so many unknowns um, that thinking about all of the elevation gain and everything like that in this one and thinking about the long climbs and the, um, just being out there for a day and a half, um, I think would have been overwhelming and, uh, and frustrating and, and debilitating in a way that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been able to make it. Um, but you know, but who knows? Yeah. You know, I, I think I, in this race, without a doubt, I relied a lot on, experience i relied a lot on knowing on trusting that i could cover that type of distance and i could be out there for that long right um so even if it felt like i had so far to go and a climb just felt impossible um for the most part i was able to convince myself and talk myself into the fact you know into just keep moving and you'll get there if you just keep moving forward 
you know, one mile at a time, you're going to, you're going to get there one aid station at a time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really think that is what ultras teach you. And I've only done the 100 and I did fifties before that, but I felt like each time I was just a little bit better than before at not quitting. And it wasn't because of any physical fitness. I mean, you have to, certainly you have to get to a higher level of fitness to handle a higher mileage, but like mostly it's just that you now have one more experience than last race right of yourself going through this and then you know maybe not getting through it but hopefully getting through it and now you've got this little data point that says i felt like this before or worse and i did end up finishing that so i think you just you know through a series of different mechanisms you kind of get better at staying out there yeah and that helps you you know i think that positivity is something that um is crucially important for any length of ultra um you know but especially something this long is if you can if you get too negative about stuff if you start freaking out about the cold or a climb and you just um get too negative about something it's it's so hard to get out of that um but if you're confident enough that you can finish it and that you can move past you know that the sun is going to come up and you are going to warm up eventually um or this climb will be over because you know (laughs) <laughs> it's only another half mile up there. It might feel like forever, but this climb right. will be over. Right. Um, then, uh, you know, if you can, if you can rely on that confidence and, and just your knowledge that you can push through it, then, uh, that's huge. And in, in keeping you positive and that's, uh, you, you, you mentioned it earlier, but that's, that's what happened to me at, at around mile 88. Um, there was this climb that, uh, that we had actually come down at the very beginning of the race. Um, so we had come down it and it was long and smooth and people were moving well and it was early in the race and people were excited. Um, and I wasn't really paying attention to it on the way down, you know, other than that I, I was moving well and making up some pretty good time. And, um, on the way back at, at mile 88, it just felt impossible. It felt <laughs> never ending. And the switchbacks were so long and, and they, um, they felt like they weren't climbing at all, you know, it's just, it just like, like, like you just, you, you just felt like you were just going sideways back and forth on the hill. And, and I, I told my pacer, I was like, I feel like I'm in purgatory where I'm not going up and I'm not going down, you know, like I'm just stuck in this terrible place. You know? Right. Um, and, and, and that was, I got so discouraged. I got, I got further negative further down on myself um and on my race than i've ever been in my entire life on on any sort of running experience and um had there been an opportunity to to drop there i especially had i been alone i uh, am fairly confident that that i would have um and i told my patient i said i said I, I i don't think i can do this anymore i think i i need to i need to stop and and he looked at me he's like well that's not an option. Just keep, just keep, keep going. And and it wasn't like, it, it honestly wasn't like literally wasn't an option right. Uh, right. at the time. Um, and, and I think he would have, he would have done everything in his, his willpower to keep me going. Um, but I just felt so negative and, and that's, and that's when I, when I almost dropped and that was, that would have been my first drop and I would have almost immediately regretted it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you, I mean, that's kind of late too, especially, I mean, I think most of the, I mean, I don't know any statistics on this, but usually when I hear about 100 milers quitting or being at their lowest point where they're crying or whatever, it's always like in the middle of the night at mm-hmm. mile 70 when they when they are completely exhausted and climbing something and they realize they still have more than a marathon to go. And right. they're just like, I just, just can't do it. Um, but man, 88, that's that's pretty late. Like I remember with, with mine, when I was by the time I was 88, I was kind of felt like I was seeing the finish line. Like it was, that was right. what's keeping me going that I was, I was there. And, and there was really no no thoughts of quitting whatsoever after, you know, probably mile 60 even for me. Uh, so man, 88, you would have, that, I think even more so you would have regretted it because it was so, yeah. because it was so close. So to the close, end. right? Yeah. Oh, totally. So why? You know, the, the sun had already come up and right. you know, it was a broad daylight, right? I mean, yeah, it was broad daylight. Yeah. I think, I think part of what, part of what it was is, is this climb really did feel never ending to me. And, um, and if you look at, uh, my Strava data, it, it looks never ending because it just, um, you know, it was like going so slow. It was like a five mile climb and I was going so slow. But, um, the other part of it, I think was, was how long I was out there and, and, and maybe this 30 hour goal and kind of the confidence that I had that I could beat my mass and in time. Um, and, and thinking about finishing in the morning, you know, th- finishing, finishing before noon, right. That even, uh, even though, 
30 hours is a long time, you know, that still would have had me finish around 11 o'clock and, um, that would have been a morning finish and, and then I could have lunch and go to bed and wake up and have dinner and right. go back to bed, you know, right. uh, but, but to f- the mental shift of finishing mid afternoon on the second day, um, just felt incredibly overwhelming to me. Um, and, uh, and I, I had a lot of trouble shaking that. Hmm. All right. I've got other questions, Doug, but before we get to those, let's take a quick minute to talk about our sponsor. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive produces audio-based workouts created by certified personal trainers available through a mobile app. Aptive makes the highest quality training available to everyone with a carefully selected group of certified personal trainers that guide you through every workout. The trainers have a wide variety of personalities and offer a variety of classes and levels, from just starting out to advanced, to keep you engaged with your program over time. There are even over 30 classes added to the app each week. As you know, Matt, I've been using Aptive over the past several months for 15-20 minute strength workouts. Uh, leading up to the Hellbender 100. I moved up from some of those very beginner routines to some more difficult ones, but with so many options to choose from, you could do a routine every single day and not get bored with their options. On top of that, Aptive doesn't have just strength routines. They have yoga, running, elliptical, rowing, and even meditation practices for you to choose from. You could even follow a running program like a 10K or a half marathon plan to help you reach your, your next training goal. Subscriptions start at $14.99, billed monthly, or $99.99 for an annual membership. But for a limited time, new members get 30% off an annual membership, which is just $69.99 for the whole year of unlimited workouts. Visit aptive.com slash no meat. That's A-A-P-T-I-V dot com slash no meat. So how, um, how did the food and fueling and all that situation go? Was that, was that, because that, that is often, I think, the cause of dropping is that something's not right with the food and you just can't eat anymore. Mm-hmm. But I, you didn't mention anything like that, right? You, you're eating no. all fine? Yeah, actually, I would say my eating was, uh, and this is, again, going back to experience, right? Uh, I would say that I learned a lot over the past few hundred milers, and um, my eating was as perfect as it could be, I would say. Um, my stomach never had any issues at all. So what I did was... Um, I focused on there were six aid sta- crew stop aid stations. Um, the whole the race, eight, six or seven, yeah, wow. in the whole race. Um, and the the aid stations, the aid, there were more aid stations than that. There were mm-hmm. twelve or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they had you know they were pretty well stocked with um, the things that you typically find like potatoes and chips and pretzels and um, some fruit. And then um, they had you know they were making egg sandwiches at one and, you know, I don't know, pancakes at another and things like that, that, um, weren't an option to me, but that, you know, they were fairly well stocked for, for an aid station, but knowing that, uh, a lot of the kind of warmer, heartier foods weren't going to be vegan. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I relied heavily on those crew stops. Um, and so I carried with me, uh, gels and gummies that I, um, took throughout the entire race pretty much. Um, not, every hour, not, you know, anything like that. But, um, you know, I consistently took some of those throughout the entire race. And then when I did get to a crew stop, I loaded up on, uh, on real food that would keep my stomach uh, happy and, and keep me fueled, uh, longer term. So early in the day, it was, um, hummus and olive wraps, mm-hmm. Sounds which good. is, which was something that I had actually gotten at the last, at the last intermile I did, they had at an aid station and I, it was like so good because my, my crew had been feeding me peanut butter and jelly and like, I don't know, other things. Uh, and that hummus and all of that, like saltiness of it was just, and freshness of it was so good. Um, so we had those through all day on Friday. Uh, and then through the night I had, I like to break it out and I had, I had meals, right? So I had uh, a burrito um, Friday night, which... I had gotten one of those. I don't know if you've ever seen, they have like rice and beans in a can that's like pre-cooked. Have you ever seen that? Or like Caribbean flavored? I think I have seen that. Um, well, that, they're sure. actually pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not something I would eat regularly or anything right. like that, but it's like pre-made rice and beans in a can that um, they just heated up on a little camp stove. Mm-hmm. And um, they had, for my crew had the same thing for dinner. And then, made me a little burrito and I had that Friday night as my, as my dinner. 
And then throughout the night, um, I had yonki in vegetable broth. Yonki. Yonki. <laughs> this was a debate. This was a debate the entire race. <laughs> what, what's it's, the it's gnocchi? Gnocchi. Like N Y, like an Enye, Spanish. Uh, Enye. Okay. Well, not Spanish, no, but not yonki. Yonki. No, not yonki. It's G N O T C H I, I believe, right? Yes. Gnocchi. It's actually yonki. gnocchi. Yonki. Gnocchi. Yeah. There you go. Well, that is delicious. That's a good dinner. Did you have a nice uh, Chianti with it? <laughs> no, I didn't have any Chianti. Uh, so yeah, so that so so I would uh, come into the aid station and my crew would give me like a cup with vegetable broth and then a bunch of yonkies in there. <laughs> is that right? It's not rhyme with donkey. No, <laughs> donkey. Dang. Um, uh, so anyway, a bunch of those potato things in there, um, mm-hmm. which was great. Uh, you know, that was the first time I'd done that. Um, and where you, was, where did you get these? They, they were like they were, supermarket fresh pack. Bought? Yeah, free supermarket fresh. Okay. So probably yeah, eggless, right? Because because eggs are are concerned with homemade gnocchi. And they are they gnocchi. were they were vegan. I mm-hmm. double triple checked. Good. Yep. The, and actually, some of the most authentic gnocchi recipes are eggless. Fun fact. Hmm. But in restaurants, they almost always have eggs. Oh really? Yep. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Um, but these, these were eggless and, uh, and really delicious. That was the first time I'd ever done that. And it was, it was like a huge hit throughout the night, especially cause it was, I uh, bet it, was. it was warm and, uh, felt it was just really good. Yeah. So that was throughout the night. And then, um, once, you know, we started breaking into Saturday morning oatmeal, I switched over to oatmeal, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, just the pre, you know, the instant oatmeal kind of thing, uh, which was easy for the crew to, to do, um, and, coffee coffee with and coffee breakfast? yep i had uh warm coffee most of the night which they had at the aid stations and then i also had um brand shout out oh. um there's a this is another good brand shout out <laughs> <laughs> there is an almond milk um latte uh that you can get at the grocery store uh-huh that um it starts with a c i don't know caribou caribou probably not no no oh here it is uh califia califia farms okay uh califia coffee latte cold brew coffee with almond milk dairy free wow um and so then they have like those little like mini bottles you know that you you can take so i had a couple of those that um i had probably starting Around around sunset on on Friday night, mm-hmm. and would kind of take some sips of those because they are like packed with sugar and almond milk and coffee and yeah, very delicious. Good. So that was that was really my my uh, food routine. So it was gels and then supplement that with some some pretty significant hearty food um, at the aid stations at the crew stops mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole thing. So you know, I mean, the big thing as vegans that we need to uh, concern ourselves with, I guess, is that they're good. There's almost always going to be some option at an aid station, whether it's fruit or potatoes or, or something like that. Right. Um, but if you want something heartier than that, then don't rely on the aid stations to have it. Yeah. I think that is the, that's a very good advice because not only will you not be able to have something, but you'll be able to smell really good things that you can't. Right. Have. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll <laughs> Which is tough. Watermelon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if, you know, in the middle of the night or something like that, if you're, if they're like literally cooking up, bacon and eggs which they do you know right at some of these um and someone's just having a, a you know a warm meal like not that bacon and eggs sounds very good but you know if they're having like a warm fresh cooked meal and you're sitting there eating uh watermelon that was probably cut six hours ago you know <laughs> like it's just it's just kind of depressing yeah good well good advice and, and what uh what did you what did you drink in your what was your drink like sports drink oh yeah um my sports drink was I had a bottle of water and a bottle of Tailwind with me at all times. Hmm. You love Tailwind. I do love the Tailwind. You should get it's that, good that stuff. That should be a sponsorship. Are they? Is that that hooked up I yet? No, we should. It's not hooked up for Rocky Runner. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should see what we can do. Oh, that's hooked up for Rocky Runner, or it's not. It's not. No, oh, okay. it's not. Yeah, that yeah. should definitely be a that, that's a must must sponsor <laughs> for them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I used to know some ultra running guys who would, uh, as a matter of tradition, crack a beer at like mile seventy-five or so. Did you do any of that? 
I didn't know. I stayed away from the alcohol um, for these. I've, you know, I've certainly had some like Dixie cups of beer and, and some of shorter <laughs> distance, shorter distance races, but uh-huh. uh, no, it just, it was too much. I couldn't, you know, I honestly probably would have sounded pretty good, um, but I, I did, you know, mixing alcohol and when you're yeah. feeling like that and just. That probably, probably made you quit. That probably would have been what made you quit at mile eighty-eight. <laughs> the, right. the little extra beer would have done it. It could. It could have. Um, I did do a little bit of coke, uh, but not until not until Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Actually, that the first time I had that was at the aid station after eighty-eight. Um, yeah. After after I almost quit, and that I think that that probably helped me rebound for the last the last little bit. Right. I had a couple couple uh, Dixie cups of. Of Coke, of soda, mm-hmm. which, you know, honestly, normally I'm not, normally I do have some sodas. So I don't know why I waited that long. Um, but I, I always was afraid that if I had it too early, it would make me burn out. Like it just, I mm. feel like this sort of puts you into sugar burning mode, which might just be my imagination. But I feel like that's why it works is this jolt of energy that right. you, you get because suddenly you, you're starting to burn up all this carbohydrate. And I feel like once you start doing that, it might be hard to get out of that. That's why I always save it until the end. Yeah, I mean, who really knows? No, I think that's I think that that's wise. That's that's likely true. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what about anti-inflammatories? You do any of that? Any any pill popping or tart cherry juice drinking? I did not. I didn't. No pill popping. No tart cherry juice. Didn't didn't think about that at all. You know, my legs held up pretty well. I had some uh, issue with my right ankle, which uh, was unusual. Um, but my legs held up pretty well, and and I it wasn't a, too big of a concern for me on race day. So I had I had all that stuff available in my with my crew, but didn't didn't bother using it. And I'm glad I didn't wow. until the finish. <laughs> and then. Uh, well, until I took a shower and got into bed and my every, you know, there's something weird about doing something like this where you're on your feet for that long, where your legs, you know, your, your muscles just get into the rhythm of it, I guess. And, you know, even if you stop for a second and sit down in an aid station, you get back up and it might take a minute to kind of stretch out, but you can still run and you can still hike. But as soon as you're done, as soon as you like sit down at the finish line, I don't know, it must be all mental or something. It, you're just releasing your muscles. And then all of a sudden, you know, walking to the car is just this huge deal or taking a shower. Oh my gosh. It was like this like terrible thing taking a shower and I got in bed and, and my legs were just like so swollen. You could, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was ridiculous. Um, I mean, so probably I did, just your body, right? Probably your body knows it's in, uh, it needs to keep going for some reason. It doesn't know why, but uh, it probably just doesn't go into healing mode yet, right? Where mm-hmm. everything starts hurting because it knows you gotta you gotta finish your race. Yeah, but um, but I, you know, thankfully, this is a big one. If anyone has followed any of my other races, toes, my feet have been a huge issue for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a single blister. Oh yes, yeah? I mean that is like a, a massive win for me. Wow. Um, so I'm I'm really really proud of that one, uh, but my you know but you still have some issues I, like two days after the race so so we went down to the beach um, on Sunday uh, to relax for a few days and um, I was laying on one of those like swinging swinging benches kept swinging couches like a full size couch uh-huh. basically but it, it it's like a swing yep and um, and Katie sat down next to me and you could actually see my feet were so swollen still. And this was a couple of days later uh, that you could actually see my heartbeat pulsing in my feet, <laughs> <laughs> which is like totally crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the feet, that's, that's when I, I think I took a little bit of ibuprofen during my hundred and it was for, it was for my feet. It, it just like, I don't know, 80 miles in or 85 miles in. They just, the pain was, unbearable and then and then you know you take an ibuprofen which you shouldn't do it's not not a good idea i mean people do it but it comes with some risks when you're running long distances but mm-hmm. uh it just i was just like just an hour of free running without pain mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. i could see why people start popping them every aid station yeah yeah totally good well i'm glad you did all that doug that is amazing and uh hopefully very inspiring to people listening to this who who could ever or maybe could not imagine themselves running that kind of race. But, uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about your training. I don't want to make this episode much longer, but uh, what did you 
what was the furthest you ran in your training? I did. Um, so this was normally I would have done a hundred K, which was 60 miles. Right. Um, I wasn't able to do that this year, uh, but I did do a, a 40 mile race. And then I had two days that were over 10 hours. Okay. Um, and, uh, and those were kind of my big, my three big training runs for, for this year. So I, you know, I did something a little different where, um, instead of building up, you know, as, as normal and having kind of every weekend be built on the last weekend, I, uh, the, the four months before the race, um, I'm, I had one really big day per month, uh, and then had some pretty moderate or like, I don't know, medium length, long runs, um, the other three weekends. Mm-hmm. So, so that was kind of a, it was like a one big day a month and then recovery and, 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 and maintenance, uh, the other three weeks. And that was, that was mostly almost entirely due to, uh, my schedule and not being able to train uh, disappear every weekend for as long as right. I had in the past. Um, but it worked out pretty well. And, and I don't know if I would recommend that for a first hundred, but, um, you know, if you have some experience with, with the distance, then, uh, that actually worked out really well and it, and it made it sustainable and it made it in a way that I, I could, you know, see myself doing it again with, with my family and with my, hmm. my current situation. So, um, yeah. Interesting. So just for anybody listening who, who is not familiar with ultra training at all, but thinks it's interesting or fascinating in some way, uh, you, you don't train up to nearly your race distance, especially as you get up to a hundred miles, you're, mm-hmm. you know, like Doug said, 60 miles would be the most, almost anybody would do hundred K um, you know, I think I did a 50 and 50 is fairly typical for, I think a mm-hmm. basic hundred mile this, I can see why you'd want to do more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think people associate ultra marathon training with just crazy long runs all the time. And this just, you know, total schedule killing thing that, that turns your whole life upside down. And it doesn't have to, I mean, you certainly can, if you wanted to, but it doesn't, it it doesn't have to feel like all that much more intense than uh, a good marathon training cycle would. I mean, it can, but right. it's not, it's not like, you know, I don't know. You kind of, and like I said, it's not a, of course it's a big physical accomplishment, but I think the the real difference between that and marathon running is just developing this ability to keep going when you don't feel like it mm-hmm. uh, much more than, than it being just this superhuman event. Not that I don't think anybody could do a race like you just did. Uh, it, that That's somewhat different to me, but um you know, I, I think more people can do ultras than than realize that they could. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think a hundred mile training doesn't have to look that much different than you know the more advanced marathon mm-hmm. level training. You know, I mean, as far as the runs, they will look very different. But as far as time commitment goes and that kind of thing, yeah, doesn't have to be right. that much different. Right. So uh, in closing, Doug, do you you didn't hit your time goal, but you still finished the hardest race you ever run? Uh, how how what, what's the lasting feeling for you i guess about a week almost a week later yeah well it's a week later now from from the start mm-hmm. um i the lasting feeling is is one of accomplishment for sure um i that was really hard <laughs> and uh yeah. and and i i keep um you know and that's not at all for me to brag or anything like that but you know i just throughout the entire race i kept saying kept saying holy cow this is really hard <laughs> and, and like surprising myself at how hard it was and uh and so just getting through it i just feel really good and really positive about that and uh, don't have don't regret the time goal at sure. all you know? um and just i'm excited i'm excited to take a break uh, but then i'm you know i'm excited to to keep going and adventuring and this made me want to do some some kind of bigger mountain adventure type things and um and mm-hmm. kind of see see what not be afraid of elevation gain and that kind of stuff. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great, feeling excited. Good. And actually, like, I actually, am fe- you know, a week later, and I'm, my my body has recovered pretty well. I'm actually feeling physically pretty good. Wow. Uh, like go. I could go out for a little jog or something. <laughs> so, so at any time did you – I mean, one of the hallmarks of my ultra running career was that during each race I would mentally retire from running forever <laughs> after that when I'd be about three-quarters of the way through the race. Did any of that – any thoughts of turn, stopping Rocky Runner, quitting the podcast, <laughs> just never um, being heard from again? Uh, not, not entirely. I will say that uh, 
throughout a lot of the race, I kept saying, this is a one and done race for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But if I can get through this, I'm never going to do this again. And I don't, I don't feel nearly as strongly about that now. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. It might be a one and done for me, but, um, you know, I, I, there were so many times I just couldn't wait to, to be done and be, you know, have checked this box. Um, and, and then there were also plenty of times also, and I was like, I, I'm excited to be done so that I can stop training. I can stop running, maybe take up a little more disc golf uh-huh. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Yeah, so you did there, a little bit of those retirement yeah, thoughts. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> that's funny. That does it too. That's good. I mean, that's, that is the point, right? It's to put yourself through something that is so hard. You feel like you can't do it and then you do it. And then you have, have this lesson that, that you mm-hmm. did. It. And I think that for me, that was the point. And, uh, Glad, glad it all worked out. Ah, oh, well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for detailing all your, all your race stuff here, Doug. For the nerds, the people who want to duplicate your, your uh, experience. Um, any, anything else? Are you, you've posted a race recap yet, or are you going to do that? I, I am. I'm working on it now. Um, but it, it's not live. It's been actually. I've struggled a lot with this one because I don't want to just recount, you know, every mile kind of thing. But I want to spend some time meditating on on what mm-hmm. the experience was like. So um, that will that will probably go live early next week on Rocket Grinner. Um, yeah. and, and if anyone's looking for a really hard uh, mountain race, this is one I would definitely recommend. I mean, it was it was absolutely stunningly beautiful the entire the entire run and um, just some really cool neat trails. It's tough as nails, but um, if you're looking for that, then, then this is one I'd recommend for sure. Good. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, one more reminder about Food Revolution Summit. Um, nomadathlete.com slash revolution it's totally free it's all nutrition and it's really really good information for eight straight days so check that out starts tomorrow saturday uh april 28th sounds great all right talk to you soon have a good have have a good good luck with the new soccer room (laughs) have fun (laughs) we'll do that take a nap all right (laughs) yeah i think i need it all right right. see you later